Hello, this is Paul Bainsfair at the IPA. Today, we had our commercial conference at the British Library. We had a number of speakers uh, talking around the theme of how agencies can take more control, more control of uh, pricing, more control of pitching. And one of the speakers uh, is a guy that we've heard from before, uh, Blair Enns, who has written a book, How to Win Without Pitching. Uh, he gave a very uh, entertaining and almost electrifying speech about how agencies should try and take control of the pitching process. And I grabbed him for a 10-minute chat just after he had spoken. One of the things that I think a lot of agency people believe is that they should be relationship builders, not challengers to relationships. And it seems to me that what you're advocating, and I get the logic of it, might get in the way of that in some people's minds. How, how would you answer that? Yeah, there's a misconception around the role of relationship in all, not just um, new business development, but in all B2B sales. And I think Neil Rackham, the founder of Spin Selling, said it best. And he said it in the introduction to the fantastic book called The Challenger Sale, which I talked about at length last year. He said, the relationship is the reward for delivering value. And too often, people who have kind of high affiliation needs, who, who um, and often we see that in, in client services roles, people who just are driven to connect with people. That's not a bad thing. But if that's a personal motivation for you to, to build relationships with people, then your natural approach is to build a relationship and hope that an engagement will follow. And really, you want to view the relationship as the reward for get deliver value first, secure the engagement, and then the, the relationship will come out of it. The idea that you're going to befriend somebody into hiring you is just just patently false in the agency world. So, but it's a it is a common it's a common viewpoint. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I've spent my life in agencies, and you know, agencies are full of charismatic, likable people, yeah. and I think they do have a temptation to believe that you know, once they're let loose on a client, their sheer charm will get them where they want to get. But really what you're saying is that doesn't happen. Yeah, and I don't mean to diminish the importance of real relationships where you have a client that you've worked with previously, um, they know you, they know your work, um, maybe they even like you personally. All of that's really valuable. But the idea that you're going to kind of build a personal relationship and lean on personal rapport and an engagement will fall from that, that's just, that's just not, the, it's not an appropriate way to operate. I want to talk to you a little bit about um, the, the, the decision-making process, both in the agency and at the client end, because you know we fall into the habit a lot of saying the client and the agency, but there are a lot of people involved on both sides. Yeah. Uh, and one of the things that I can see might be a problem is that quite often those people that start the negotiation for the agency or the response to the RFP or whatever it might be are, you know, they're not at the top of the tree. And they won't necessarily be emboldened to um, be a little bit disruptive or take control as you, as you would have it. And on the other hand, some of the clients that they're dealing with are also um, people down the line who are working to a formula or a process they've been told to work to and therefore are going to be less receptive to anybody cutting out rough or being difficult for good reason. Yeah. So can you talk a bit, about, a bit about that? Because in the real world, you know, there are lots of people involved in these, in these decisions. You know, these are great points, and the same principles apply to the subject of value pricing, where, which Tim Williams is talking about today. 
and you know we can all kind of buy into the theory of value pricing but if you want to sell an engagement based on value you need to have a on the agency side of the table somebody who's capable of having that conversation and b you need somebody on the client side of the table who's actually charged with future value and as you kind of point out here sometimes there are people at the table who's they're, they're not charged with creating future value for the client organization. They're charged with bringing in costs as low as possible, or they're charged, of, charged with managing a process. It's very difficult in those situations to be able to um, push back. What you have to do is you have to, if, if the, you want to get as high up in the client side of the organization as you can, and that, so when the relationship begins at kind of the middle management level or too lower, that's the first place you need to push back and say, listen, you know, I'm sorry, but we're not going to follow this kind of procurement process as it's laid out. And before we even decide on whether or not it makes sense to take a next step, we need to have a conversation with you know, certain key individuals on, on your team. And if we can't have that conversation, then we just, as a matter of policy, we just can't move forward. So for us to even decide whether or not this makes sense to take the next step, we need to have a conversation with I'll use the term key decision makers. That's not a term you would use in actual conversation. You would identify, you would name the individuals. Now you've been uh, advising a number of agencies over over time. You've seen this done well. Uh, you've seen people take take your uh, recipe for success and apply it. Yeah. Can you can you give us some examples? Um, because I think you know when one hears stories of the real world, these things really do come alive. Yeah, well, I'll concede that the um, the larger the agency, the larger the client, the closer to New York City, or in this case, London, I mean, it's almost all in London here, and the more of a pure advertising play the account is, the more difficult it is because the bad practices are ingrained equally on the client side and on the agency side. So the firms that do best um, at this approach at pushing back and gaining concessions are the firms where, first of all, they're a little bit smaller, they tend to be a little bit smaller, a little more specialized, number one. And number two, the individual who's pushing back has more authority. So if you're, if you're running, if you're a group account director in a network-owned agency and you are pushing back and essentially risking um, the fact that this opportunity might go away and then you have to answer to people above you and people above them and people above them, that gets a little bit more difficult to do. So it's a combination of the firm needs to be positioned well. You need to be seen as meaningfully different. The individual on the agency side who's having these conversations needs to really buy into this approach and it helps if it's aligned with their own motivational makeup. And then there need to be... You know, the more risk that they are comfortable taking in that situation, the better they are. So the, be the better they're likely to perform. Yeah, that makes absolute sense to me. Um, and I know from, you know, one's own personal experience outside of agency client relationships, if you're, if you're hiring someone to do some building work on your house or something, you're often much more impressed by the people you talk to who say, no, 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 you, yeah, yeah. People you, want you, don't, want to, you don't want to do it like that, you want yeah. to do it like this, than the person that just takes dictation and says, yeah, I can do that, I can do that. Yeah. If, you're, uh, if you're looking for examples, I've just at coffee after my talk, somebody came up to me and said, I heard you speak a few years ago, and, and he said, I just had a situation, we were asked to pitch, and I, I looked at the requirements, and I said, no, we're not going to pitch, and then three days later, the... Um, 
um, the CMO called and said, hey, I hear you're not in the pitch. And he said, yeah, well, the, here, are the, here are the things I don't like about the pitch. And he said, no problem, we'll change them. So they went on to win the business. It was a million, uh, million pounds in fees. And it started with him saying no and walking away. And that's one of the points I made in the talk today is, you know, I think a lot of these conversations, a lot of the, the client comes to us and says, here's what we'd like from you, here are the conditions. And we're just so conditioned to say yes. If we just start with no and see what happens after that. I, um, I must say I was very taken with the thought that you, that you put across earlier, and that was that push back early. Mm -hmm. If you think something isn't right or you don't like the way the thing is being set up, let that be known early on. Because it seemed to me that not only does, is that chime with everything you're saying, but in the eyes of the client, you're already positioning yourself. You're already yeah. separating yourself from the pack. And the client is probably thinking, hmm, as long as you're not being unreasonable, these are interesting people. You know, yeah. They've got a point of view rather than perhaps all the others who are just saying, yeah, 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 we'll do whatever. I've seen so many examples, in particular here in the UK, where the client has been offended at the agency pushing back, but it only ever happens when the client is, or sorry, the agency is compliant in the beginning, and then they kind of muster up the courage to say no in the middle of the process, and, that, and the client finds that highly offensive. But if you begin the relationship that way, there should be nothing offensive about it. You just you can apologize. You just say this, you know, we're not going to do that for this reason. And whatever the reason is, you just say what you're thinking. Now, I want to ask you about another issue that's very um, prevalent here in the UK, which is the role of um, intermediaries mm -hmm. in setting up these pitches. We've got three or four very powerful ones here. I think it's probably true in New York. Yes. Um, now, this complicates matters, doesn't it? Because they are, they're taking the, 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 the job away from the client, if you like, they're being paid for it. We'll run the pitch for you. We'll run a fair process. We'll get the right result. But they don't really want you cutting out and making no. life difficult. Yeah. The, so I talk about the four priorities of winning your business. First, win without pitching if you can. If you cannot, then try to derail the pitch. If you cannot derail the pitch, try to gain an advantage. And then the fourth priority is to walk away if you cannot. And if you apply that strictly to, you know, um, a process that's mediated by a search consultant, you're going to find that you end up walking away a lot. Um, unless there's a situation like the one I just um, shared with you, there's a situation where the end client really, uh, really would like to have your firm in the pitch. Then you, 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 you really just have to push back and say, I know some firms that just say we refuse to participate in a process that's run by an outside consultant. Um, and that's just a decision that they make. Um, but you're not, it's not, unless there's, it, they're the equivalent of dealing with procurement or dealing with perhaps middle managers who are charged with running a process and they're not charged with future value. So unless somebody on the client side, in the client organization who's charged with creating future value is interested in having you at the table, then you have no power. Mm. Yeah, and in a way that is a complication that's piled on top of the other one we talked about, which is in big agencies. These, these um, processes are ingrained and it's more difficult. It's in big agencies they often face these intermediaries. So, you yeah. know, problems get piled on problems. It gets harder to do the very sensible things that you're recommending. I'm not saying it's possible, but, you know. Um, so, um, if all this works, and I take it uh, from you that it does, I believe it, um, 
Why, why don't we see more of it? Why are agencies still doing the same old, same old and, and being compliant in these pitches? Yeah, and, and why, uh, why is everybody familiar with the principles of value pricing, but very few creative firms are value pricing? And the truth is it's a little bit difficult to pull off. The conversations are not easy. Even in value pricing, it comes down to the failure of firms to value price comes down to failure of the value conversation, which is a conversation between human beings in which one person is guiding the other and there's a little bit of pushback. And you know, um, it's the same thing in selling. So it's just easier in pricing. It's easier to not have those conversations to fall back on cost plus. In selling, it's easier to fall back on the process as it's been laid out to you by the client. And do you think, because it's not easy, that there is a personality type or a, a, a skill set that exists in certain people that, yes. that the agencies should be training up or they should be identifying and using in these conversations? Yeah, there's a personality type or, or a spectrum of personality types that are more kind of drawn to this approach. And you can test for it depending on... I use an obscure assessment to give me a sense of somebody's motivational makeup. And you, you can't overweight an objective assessment, but that's a starting point. And then you'll just see that some people are kind of naturally gravitate to this approach. Um, they'll lean forward when you talk about it, and others will just list all the reasons why it can't possibly happen. So you can't take somebody who would just readily list all those reasons why it can't possibly work this way and, and train them. Um, but the people who are interested, the people who are really fed up with the pitch process and being seen as a vendor rather than an ex and who want to be seen as the expert practitioner, those are the people that you want to focus on putting in key positions and training. Okay, so um, last question. Uh, do you think that there is any possibility that an organization like the IPA, the, the, the professional body for all the agencies, could try and... Um, introduce um, a regulation or a regulated approach to pitching that incorporated many of your ideas that the clients and the agencies would adhere to? Do you think that's a, just a pipe dream? Everywhere around the world that where I've, I've looked, every jurisdiction I've worked in, where I've looked at kind of the professional body like the IPA or maybe the Design Business Association on the design side, where they have tried to um, advocate or uh, dictate a kind of buying process for the client has failed. And I just don't, do not think there will ever, if I were a client, I would have no interest in, you know, clients have the power because, um, because of the oversupply of undifferentiated creative firms. So why, if I were a client, why would I readily give up that power, the ability to kind of get a better price Etc. to push agencies around in the, in the selection process. Why would I voluntarily give that up? You make a good point, and uh, I don't believe it, it could be done. Uh, so really what we're, what we're saying is, and this is music to many agencies' ears because they are inherently competitive beasts, yeah. uh, there's a huge opportunity out there for those agencies that do grasp the nettle, that do take the difficult conversations on early, uh, because if they can move this conversation onto the value they're giving rather than the price that you know, they're, they're, they're offering their services for, uh, there's a big win. Yeah, if you, if you had two choices, one is we could eliminate free pitching from the agency landscape um, so everybody is removed from the burden. Or you could figure out how to win without pitching while everybody else pitched their brains out. What would you select? <laughs> 
point we'll make. <laughs> okay, Blair, thanks. been great talking to you. My pleasure, Paul. Thank you. I hope you found Blair's observations interesting uh, and indeed that you might try and put some of them into practice. He's got lots of examples of how this has worked, although of course mostly in North America. Uh, but I didn't hear anything that I didn't believe could be applied here in the UK too. So thanks for listening. This has been Paul Bainsfair and this has been the IPA podcast.